This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never in Jesus' name. Now your best shout ever. I like that. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He, uh, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idol, an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Oh, yeah. Don't be fooled. <laughs> Verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in things and things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret but their evil intentions will be exposed when their light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to, to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. I love you. Come on, give God a hand. He's worthy. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for being here today. Let's give a hand to all our students who are hanging with us today. They're up here with us. So shout out to all of them. I asked them to stay up here today. Uh, I feel like it, it may be meaningful to them and help them. We're in the middle of a series called Truths of a Skeptic, where I'm trying to do more than just preach a sermon. I'm trying to give you truths out of the Bible that I've had to kind of wrestle with, like are they really true, and if they are, how do we live them? But I try to do it in a way that's more than a sermon that if you had to debate it with a friend or a co-worker to give you enough knowledge and enough uh, foundation scripturally that I feel like you could fight well in a debate. In other words, I feel like you could fare well and at least make people think about it. So I've been trying to pick those out, and today here's our thought for the day. Why does God only approve of married sex? We live in a generation that's, that's very hyped sexually. And yet God, if you, if you bring God into the equation, 
uh, he seemingly only approves of married sex, which really hurts because then it's like, well, then what constitutes marriage? You mean a piece of paper that I go down, you know, me and my girlfriend, we've been living together, we've been having sex, God's not proud of us, then we run down here to the courthouse, we stand in front of just a piece, he signs a piece of paper, we take that piece of paper back to God, and God goes, proud of you now. You can have sex now and I won't kill you, right? I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of how it goes, and especially when we tell the young people, don't have sex until you get married. The question becomes, well, then what is marriage, and why do I need a piece of paper if I love them? And if I love them, is sex really bad? Because really isn't, isn't that about love anyway? So how could God be so angry if I'm in love with the person and we're having sex? Why would God be upset at that? I mean, it's so sweet and tender anyway. I just don't get it. It's my soulmate just because we haven't gone to the church or the pastor or the probate court. Why would God care about this? And so it really does befuddle how do we explain it. So rather than coming at it from a worldly perspective, I'm going to come at it from a biblical perspective and try to tell you why it matters to God uh, and hopefully help you. Now, in this, I'll do it in such a way that I'm going to look at two things. Number one, who you are and what marriage is. And try to hopefully put you out the door you know, with a little more strength about it. Let's jump into the first verse. Here it was. Ryan read it. But among you, these are Christian people, not worldly people. But among you, there must not even be a hint. I got a hmm. Not even a hint. That would say likely, highly likely, I'm included with you. Highly likely in this scenario, everybody in the room is guilty. A hint of sexuality. Just look at her, guilty. Even Jesus will teach us this. If you think it in your heart, you're already guilty. If you look at a girl and you lust, not sleep with her, you just look at her and go, mmm. You're guilty. A hint, which is strange. It doesn't seem fair that God would make me a male, shoot me up with testosterone, and then say, just a hint of sexual immorality going to kill you. This doesn't seem fair. Then he says this, a hint of what? Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, because these are improper. And then that word we talked about last week, your holy people. I want to talk about this term sexual immorality because what really does make sex immoral? Is it only when I sleep with a prostitute that makes it immoral? Is it when I've been raped that makes it immoral? Is it when I have more than five girlfriends, does that make it immoral? Is it when there's a twosome or a threesome, does that make it immoral? What makes it immoral? If it's my boyfriend and he's committed to me and he's told me he loves me, is that immoral? Because it doesn't feel immoral. It feels kind of right. And if we've known each other for years and he's put a ring on my finger, I mean, we hadn't got married yet, but he did say one day when we get enough money, when we can afford it, when we can get a house, we'll probably get married. Is that immoral if we're having sex? Because we do have a good life plan. And if our life plan, does God accept my life plan as a way to get out from the immorality? Or is all sex outside of marriage, immoral. And then, can you be married and still have immoral sex? Because does this mean that if a piece of paper means God approves everything sexually? 
Or is there something about marriage that kind of has a piece of paper, but it's more than that, but, but, and then it just gets convoluted, so let's just sleep together and hope for the best. The second verse Ryan read was this. But you were once in darkness, and now you were light. This sexual immorality we're talking about is not just because it's healthier for you, you won't get diseases, uh, you know, you won't be lost emotionally sleeping with so many people, you can be much more functional in a marriage, those kind of things. It's because that sexual immorality, whatever it is, it puts you in a realm of darkness. In other words, the reason God can't approve it, it's in another realm, it's in a dark realm. So he takes the word sexual immorality, of course, with greed, but for the day, the sexual immorality, and he lumps it in a category of darkness and says, but you're not like this. In other words, to God's people, when it comes to our sexuality and whether or not a guy and a girl are going to hook up, he, he says you've got to look at it from a perspective of, but now you're light. And he said, now, now therefore, live as a child of the light. So there is an expectation with God that the moment I claim Jesus, I have to live differently. And part of that differentiality is I would live differently in my sexuality. Even though I may could come up with a lot of excuses of why, God sees it differently. And if I don't come under His guise of light, I'll be living my life claiming to know Jesus, but in a realm of darkness where my life's not working right, but I still kind of feel close to God, but, but, but. I'll tell you why that could happen. For, now he's going to define it, what light is. For the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then highlighted in red, find out what pleases God. Now, to define the word sexual immorality, we would be all over the place today. Because everybody has their own give and take to what is proper and what is not proper. We do it this way for the young people. There's probably some hip term today, but I'll show you how old I was. We did it in baseball terms. Oh, you got to first base? Boom. Second base? Boom. I don't know why we picked baseball. Third base? Dude, you're almost home. Home plate? Oh, my God. You hit a home run. Right? We objectify the woman, put her in a sports category, and then the men try to run the base. We figure out to what base we can take you, and we call that intimacy. We call it sexuality. We call it dating. Uh, and hopefully, godly girls, if, if you're Pentecostal, you don't even leave the dugout. <laughs> sit in the dugout, get the bat, take the bat back. If you're Baptist, you probably can at least get the plate and swing the bat. And then depending on how religious you are, you might get to first base and not have to repent. And you probably could go to second, but don't tell your youth pastor. Because that's kind of how we've worked it out. That, that home plate, first and second, are, are sexually acceptable to Christians. Third, mm, don't know about that. Keep your clothes on, keep your pants up. Don't want to go to third. And home, oh my God, don't go to home, you'll go to hell. So, And then we teach it. Now, I grew up that way. I grew up, you don't even go to the ball game. That's called Pentecostals. You don't even go to the ball game. You Girls had to wear a one-piece. Girls in my church could not wear bikinis. They all had to wear one-pieces. And when we swam, we went swimming like youth group, and we would go swim. They called it mixed bathing. 
And I'm thinking, I don't want to take a bath with them. I just want to swim with them, you know. But the girls in our church were required by the leaders of our church to wear a one-piece. And then that one-piece, they also had to wear a T-shirt. So they just nearly needed to be fully clothed to go swimming. How romantic is that? Boys, we could just do anything, rip our shirt off, dive in in our gym shorts. Girls had to walk out in terry cloth robes with a nice one piece with her daddy's t-shirt on. And then she jumped in because that group of people felt like if that girl's in a one piece and a wet t-shirt, boys won't lust after her <laughs> at all. Let, let me help you. We lust after everything. She's in a parka. We're lusting after her. But my God, there she comes in a hoodie and a parka. My God, man, she's hot. You know, I mean, boys are just that way. We don't need much help at all to lust. We will, we will undress her as she walks fully clothed with the King James Bible. We're like, man, thank you, Jesus. But there, there was a thing in religion that if we could keep you pure, like when we went on a trip, the girls sat in the back of the bus, the guys sat up in the front of the bus because ergo that we would sit together and it turned dark on a bus, what we could come up with and do. And so everybody's got ways of how we keep you sexually pure. Parents have ways. If you get caught, you get grounded, you'll get a disease. Then the world jumped in on it and said, well, if you're going to have sex, you need to have safe sex. And then schools started giving condoms, and now they have classes to teach kids how to apply condoms and how not to have sex before you really know. And then there's some that are just abstinence. Don't do it at all until you get married. And then other people are like, oh, they're going to do it, so just get them on the pill as quickly as you can and do it safe. And everybody's got their input on how should and could and would. And then the church just kind of sits here and goes, I don't know. I just don't want to go to hell. I just just don't want God mad at me, you know. And so I figured I'd talk about it today since I got girls and I'd try to help you. All right, here it is. Here's sexual immorality defined. So is it kissing? Is it first base? Second, when does it become immoral? Uh, Some people won't even kiss until they're married. But here it is in God's design of how he defines it. It's sex outside of righteousness, goodness, and truth. Anytime you have a sexual encounter outside of righteousness... Outside of goodness and truth, that would would be the Word of God, the life of God, the Spirit of God, you're godly, and you have sexual intimacy outside of the way God has intended it, then that's immorality. So the way I would define it is sexual immorality is sex, any kind of sex, outside of the way God defines marriage. So now we got to dive into how would God define marriage, or otherwise it would be immoral. So I want to look at two things, marriage and me and how I'm pleased versus God being pleased because the last verse, if you'll back up one slide, go back one slide, that last phrase says, I've got to find out what pleases God. Now in a generation like this, they're probably not shoved down their throat, find out what pleases God. A younger generation is what pleases my friends, what pleases the community that I'm in, the people I hang out with, and then that becomes acceptable. Whether that's in cheerleading or football or wherever I'm at in my sphere of influence. So here's what I want to look at. God pleasing versus me pleasing. Let's talk about me for a minute. If we try to talk about this today from just us, 
we're going to have a hard time agreeing because everybody's got what they're willing to go and how far they'll go and what's too far and some people don't even have a problem with it. It's like you're in love, man, it's okay. And other people like, never, man, you don't, until the altar, don't you dare. So I think hopefully we could maybe try to find some commonality, but Christians even are all over the place. But let's start with this thought because this is a common denominator. It's still from where Ryan read. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse the sins. Now, we'll tell you something about the world we live in. They'll fool you by making excuses. Oh, well, do you love them? Yeah, well, then y'all can sleep together. Just You won't get pregnant, wear a condom. It's okay as long as you love each other. And especially if you're soulmates, and especially if he's committed to you, and especially if he's given you a ring, and especially if you're saving money because you've got a house and he's got a house and you can't afford to get married, so you're going to move in with him. And if you move in with him, you're both saving money. So therefore, that makes common sense. Move in together. Just don't sleep together. Just live together, but don't have sex together. So you sleep in bedroom A. He'll sleep in bedroom B and air never come together and have sex. And we're like, yeah, we can do that. And that may be true. Maybe they can, but the world will always offer you ways to compromise the hint. It says don't even have a hint. So when a guy and a girl go, you know, we're just going to move in together but not have sex. I'm not saying everybody. But probably 90% of the people are like, oh, yeah, y'all are having sex. Yeah, right. And they're like, no, 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 we're not. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably not sliding into home, but you're definitely swinging the bat. And then we have to factor in anyway, she's in bedroom B, he's in bedroom A, she's over there thinking he's just my knight in shining armor, and he's over here having dirty thoughts that you're only 12 feet away from him. And his brain is thinking and going, why? Because he's fooled with testosterone and he's... But he would never go to bedroom B because he doesn't want you mad at you, but he just sits in his own bedroom and stews over waiting on the honeymoon night and his mind is already going nuts. Is he guilty now? Because Jesus said if you can think about lusting after you're guilty already, so he hadn't even slept with you and he's guilty. Like the whole thing just doesn't make sense. But we're saving money. (laughs) For if you're not careful, you will anger God. So sexual immorality angers God. And he says, don't participate in these things like these people do. And he kind of rudely calls them these people. In other words, they're not my kids. But if you're not careful, you will adopt the prevailing philosophy of the world who aren't even my kids. And you will bring it into my family and try to live their philosophy as being my kids. And it's just going to make me angry. And yet, not many people even want to talk about the anger of God. It loses people. We want to talk about happy Jesus. We want to talk about the Jesus that forgives us of all of our sins, not the God who's looking at his kids going, stop, quit, quit, you're really ticking me off. Because it just doesn't really grow churches that God could be watching my sex life and caring about who I sleep with and does that really matter to him that I'm immoral. But he says don't participate in them. So what we need to know is this, let's be smart, The world has some great advice, but it still might not be godly. Like wear a condom. Great advice if you're not married and you don't want to live for God. Go for it because it's really good advice. Keeps you, you know, at least semi-healthy to not get a disease. 
Um, don't sleep around with a lot of people. Make sure you find your soulmate. That's good wisdom, you know. But it's still worldly wisdom. And, and worldly wisdom can be good, but it might not really disqualify you that you're still disobedient. So just, he says, just be careful. Don't be fooled by it. So I would just highly encourage you, sometimes the worst people to ask advice for are the people who are in your sphere of influence because they're all just going to agree. Yeah, go for it. You just have to be wise about it. So let's look at this uh, and find out why it really matters. All right? Change it. So be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity evil ace. Don't act thoughtlessly. And then here it is and what we're going to try to do today. you got to understand what God's will is. Young people, we, we just need to know the will of God. We already know the will of boys. Boys are driven towards sex. It's put in them with testosterone. Girls are kind of driven toward to be loved and wanted and desired. And it all gets convoluted. But there is a will of God in it. And we don't want to look at a whole generation of people and scare them. Just go, quit, stop, don't you dare, you'll get in trouble, I'll take your phone, you'll get a disease. Because what that does for a while is it puts them in fear, but it definitely doesn't stop testosterone. You know, I mean, it's helping them. So in my life, I was married previously to Monica who died in a car wreck. We'd been married four and a half years, and in that we were having sexual intimacy as a husband and wife, but she died, and then I'm not. So I have a decision to make. I'm now single. I'm used to sexual intimacy in a marriage. I have three options. One, just go run the world, find chicks and sleep with them, and fulfill that testosterone desire. Go to the clubs, flirt with women. Two, self-pleasure. I could guess I could just pleasure myself because that may make God happy that I'm not running the streets with prostitutes and getting diseases. I'll take care of myself. Or third, cold turkey. Nothing. Which is not highly advisable. But it's possible. So to be holy, I chose cold turkey. <sighs> All right, I can go cold turkey here. And I prayed. I said, God... I know one day I'll get married again, but I just ask you to take all this sex drive away because it's just too much testosterone. I'm in my 20s. Help me, God, live pure. Help me live holy. This is going to sound weird. Every desire sexually left me. Like I'm like, come on, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. And then I started thinking, what, am I gay? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, God, what if my prayer was so strong, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> then I met Robin. Yeah, and, I, and I'm cold turkey now. I went cold turkey. I'm not going to have sex. I'm not going to run the streets. I'm going to wait till I get married again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a beautiful wife. We're going to make it to our honeymoon. We're going to be pure and holy. I met Robin. Every, every blooming desire of testosterone. Cold turkey went out the door and rooster came. <laughs> was no turkey in me at all. Every bit of turkey's gone, and I'm looking at this woman going, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we, I, I proposed. She said yes, and we had a hard conversation. Young people, it's a good conversation. Can we help each other get to the married moment? I'll tell you why marriage is important in a minute, and be pure and holy. And we both decided, because sex is a normal thing, that we would have to help each other. 
because there would be times, you know, cold turkey is optimal, but rooster's coming out, and she's got to help, and she's got to, and times I have to help, and we did it. We made it to our wedding day, pure and holy. I'm not saying it was easy. I took probably 42,000 cold showers. If you don't even believe in praying in tongues, you'll learn. It's like, oh, God, keep me holy, right? I mean, because, because the way God made us, fellas, God made us to pursue the woman. He gave us testosterone so that the only answer for it is this. But what happens in a generation when this is given away freely, it runs rampant. Even Beyonce tried to help us, I think, when she said, If you like it, then you should have a ring on it. If you like it, then... She's even trying to help us to quit running rampant. But sex is driven by the man to pursue the female, but if the female gives the milk for free, the guy's not really inclined to buy the cow. So there is an example of purity helps both ways. It helps her to say, if you want to have sex with me, marry me. Girls, I'm going to help you. If you will have that philosophy, if you want this, you must marry me. Not put a ring on it. You must marry me. I, will, I promise, I promise you. If it's not true, I will take you to Mexican and buy you food. I promise you, if you close your legs, you put a sign over the door that says, not in business. He will either leave you or marry you. Those will be the only two things. He will leave and find him some other chick that will open up for business or he will come and get down on one and go, please, please. I, am I not telling the truth? It is absolutely true. I'm not putting you down, girls, but you have power. You want him to marry you? Close for business and watch what he'll do. He'll either forget about you and chase other people or he will marry you. But if you're giving it for free, good luck. If you're nine years in, I just don't know why he won't marry me. Because you're giving it for free. He's not a dummy. I'm getting it for free. It'd be like walking in Target. Everything's free. Free? I just would live there. It's all free. But when they charge you, you're like, yeah, I don't want to go down and spend too much. Right? I don't know why I went off on that, but it felt like it's helping somebody. <laughs> Close for business. All right, let's look at it. Here we go. I'll try to help you. Let's figure out then, we know what pleases us. We've been in this world long enough to know what makes us happy. Let's find out what pleases God. Here it is. To understand why God would care about my sexuality with a male or female and whether or not we sleep before we get married together, you have to understand who you are and why that would even matter. Now, when you understand who you are, you suddenly realize why God is picking on this sexually immoral part because... It matters to him, and here's why. Let's go to Genesis. I'm a Genesis guy, so anytime I try to define it, we'll head there. So let's head to Genesis. And, and here's what I'm trying to hold right now. Why is sexual immorality so critical in God's mind outside of his parameters? And here's what he said in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make human beings in our image, and then this phrase, like us, to be like us. 
dislike us for those of you who are not the topic today, but I get this a lot. People say, "Is I never see the Trinity mentioned in the Bible. Where's the Trinity? Right here. God, who's God, calls of himself us. In other words, plurality. That would at least be two, but we know it to be three. And God said, let us make human beings to be like us. So how you were designed in the very original of God's mind is to be like us. Which is weird because here it is. There's God, who we know to be God. But then God, who we know to be God, is also God, God, and God. So he's God, 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 God. And that plays out through the Bible. There's God, God. But then there's God, Daddy God, Father God, who Jesus will say, I really can't do anything unless the Father tells me what to do. But Jesus is God. He's the Son, but He's also God. So now we've got God, but we've got God. Then we've got God. So we've got God the Father, then God the Son. But then the Son can't even come up from the dead or do ministry without the Spirit, who is also God. And the Spirit empowers Jesus and brings Jesus up from the dead. So we've got God... But then God is broken into God, God, and God. But the God, God, God works so well in unison together that it appears to be just God. So you got three of them working together, intertwining with one another. The Spirit bringing the breath and the power. Jesus used the Spirit moving, but He submitted to the will. The will now comes to the Son. The Son now does the will, but He can't do the will without the Spirit empowering Him to do it. And they're all flowing together as God, 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 but God. So that person says, let me make you like me. And he did, and you are. Here it is, broken down for you. The Father is the will of God. The Son is the flesh or body of God. And the Spirit is the force or the power of God. When he made you, however, to be like him, this is what you are. You're the soul. It is the will of me. It's the seat of my, my emotions and my feelings. It's the I can, I will, and I'm going to do it. It's where you make decisions from. It's what governs your whole life. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to sleep around. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in the gym. That is the soul of you. It makes the decisions. It's the rationale. It's connected to all of your emotions. It's all the stuff up here in your head that get mixed up. But this is you, and it really can do a damage on you. But also, this is you. Your flesh is you. It's, it's the flesh of me. It's the part of me that experiences life, heat and cold and taste and smell. And it gives me experiences of that was joyful here to the soul. Why? Because my flesh experienced it. And so the flesh now was kind of interconnected to the soul because the flesh felt it. And then the flesh said that felt good to the soul. And the soul said that was good. So it signals to the flesh, go run after that again. So imagine sex. Sex was given to you to feel good. It feels good. You go outside of God's parameters. It's still good. Man, my flesh says good. The soul says that was good. The soul sends back to the flesh, run after that again. But we forgot we're also a spirit. And the spirit is the life force of a person. It's the breath of you. It's the part of you that moves you through life. But it needs the body to do it. And it needs the mind to do it. And they're all interconnected. I did it this way to kind of show you a little more of how it interconnects itself. Next one. Thou may the God of peace. Watch how the Lord cares. Make you holy in every way. May your whole what? 
spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. How long? Till, till Jesus comes. You got to be kidding me. I've got to keep my body holy until Jesus comes. Now, the way he, he does it is we cannot dichotomize it, and many Christians do. You're all one package here. I am Mark. You see me, but I'm Mark. I'm Mark, and I'm Mark. But Mark, Mark, Mark is Mark. But sometimes Mark can get out of Mark and mess up Mark. And sometimes Mark tries to be in control of Mark and Mark. And when Mark's in control of Mark, Mark, Mark has a great life. But then one day, Mark takes over Mark, and then Mark says to Mark, and then Mark says to Mark, Mark does this, Mark regrets it. Now Mark up here is miserable. And I'm trying to dichotomize. So what we do as Christians is Mark goes to church and says all the right things and reads his Bible. But as soon as he leaves church and felt like he checked the God box off, Mark, Mark begins to live the rest of the week. So Mark Mark lives the rest of his week while Mark comes on Sunday to tell God how much I really love him and want to please him. And then Mark runs back out and Mark Mark gets in charge and God's like, I don't even know Mark Mark because Mark is not doing what I want him to do. And we call that religion. It's why you can worship on Sunday and live like a hellion Monday through Saturday. Thinking that God overlooks it because Mark, oh man, me and God, we like this. And God's like, yeah, you just talk about Mark. I don't see me and you like this because what I see is Mark and me like this, but Mark and me, no, and Mark and me, no. Yeah, so no. It would be no different than you trying to worship God but have no father or no son or no spirit. And what most people do is they want to worship God, just Jesus, because he's the nice one of the bunch. I don't want to worship God the Father because he's the one that has all the rules and regulations. I just want Jesus. I don't want God. I want Jesus God, not God, God, God. I just want the one. The one that's gracious. The one that overlooks all my sins and never gets on to it. I don't want to have to face daddy. I just want the son that says it's okay. I want him to just tell me he loves me like I am. And that part of God says, oh, I do love you that way, but this part of God says you can't be that way because this part of God says if you do, I'll judge you. Yes. Which is weird. I don't know, but let's go on. Now, all of that to say that you are interconnected. There is no way to separate it. And what we do know from my wife has a psychology degree I think she would agree as well. What we do know about the human being is you're so interconnected that each realm affects the other. If your soul is sick, your body can be sick. And if you've ever been sick in your body, oh, it will impact your emotions. And if you've ever just fallen in love with God, it will impact your flesh and your emotions. But they're interconnected. And the problem with sexuality today is we've moved the spirit into my religious life and the soul and body into my life. And we try to live with me pleasing soul and body, but then me pleasing God in my spirit. And God says, no. I made you to be interconnected and to flow as one. Whatever you do in the flesh affects the soul. Whatever you do in the soul affects the spirit. Whatever the spirit does affects it all. And so therefore... The best way we deal with it is never talk about it in the church. So the church quits talking about it. And because it's so critical, the church won't talk about it, but the world will. 
And the world is not really trying to connect you to the divine God, maybe to the divinity of Mother Earth, but not to the divine God. So 99% of what you're going to get in the world is going to be connecting you to mind and soul, mind and body, mind and body, mind and body, mind and body, over and over, constantly on social media, constantly. I'm on social media scrolling. I'm like, God... I don't need any more pictures of bras. I don't want to see bras. I want to see workout people. I don't want to see this. I, but constant feeding things to us. Constantly. Rig, figuring out who you are, where you are. Feeding this soul and body. Trying to get you to a place to dichotomize the connection. So I want to talk about that here in a few minutes. Of This is why God cares. Listen to these scriptures. This, these are mind-blowing. Don't you realize your bodies are a part of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Exclamation point. Never! And don't you realize if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her, and the two you are united with one. In other words, God even says that your body, when, when Mark's body connects with another woman's body, I become one with her. Medical science will do it like this. If we have unprotected sex and the guy has an orgasm and unprotected sex, then part of his DNA goes into the woman's DNA and that girl for the rest of her life carries a segment of his DNA in her body. Why? Because they are one. Not just in a spirit realm. They're one even in the physical realm. And then we also know this about sex. The moment body and body become together, you get all these emotional ties. And you get caught up emotionally with them. You get sucked into the emotions of it. And he wants me. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Oh, he sees me as his princess. Oh, he... And he's just using you. But you're, you're telling your soul, he wants me. He wants me. Because the Bible says if we're not careful, you become one body with that person. Wonder why so many people that have multiple sex partners mentally when they get married just can't shake the dysfunction mentally of the perverted sex life. Because of this, we don't understand the power of my body when I'm young. We don't understand when I'm a young person and I'm trying to live pure that the devastation that sex uh, taken way outside the scope of what God designed can have such a profound effect. The next scripture. Run from sexual sin. No other sins. Listen now. So clearly does what? Affects the body. God cares about your body, Christians. He doesn't just care about your soul. Wash your mind with the reading of the word. Renew your spirit by listening to Bethel. He also cares about your body. And not just your body going to the gym. That's good. You need to be healthy. But listen to what he says about the body. I want you to go from sexual immorality because it's a sin against your body. He doesn't just say you're sinning against me. He says when you sleep with someone immorally, you're sinning against your own body. In other words, you're going to reap things in your body. And I think we see that today with HPV viruses and all the sexually transmitted diseases that are out there as we just flagrantly begin to do it, but then we make excuses. We're going to do it, just do it safely. But what God has designed it to be is this, when we're immoral, it does have profound impact on sexuality, whether it shows up in hepatitis or shows up in AIDS or diseases or, or gonorrhea or all the things they teach you in sex class. They're just, I don't want to look at those pictures. But it's really true. 
But verse 19 takes it a step further. In other words, God doesn't want you just sexually pure because you're fearful of getting a disease. He says this about his kids. Don't you realize your body is where I live? Your body is where I live. I live in you, Mark. I care about you. Mark, you don't even belong to you. I bought you, so honor me with your body. Young people, look at this and just let it soak in. Screenshot it. God lives in your body. Like the God of creation moves in you and walks with you and his life force moves you through life. He says, Mark, I own your body, man. It's mine. I bought it. Don't you dare go trade it off and sleep with whoever you want to, Mark. I'm with you. Now, the way my mother gave that to me in high school was this way, son. Mother wants you to know when you're out there tonight that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit's in you. Mm, no! I don't want the Holy Spirit to be in me, except I'm in church. I don't want him to be going with me all the time because this is the typical way many Christians do this with their body. They get all sexually attracted, and all of a sudden they decide first, second, third, I'm going for home, man, and they get to home plate, and they tell God, this is how they think, God, hey, if you'll hold off right here a minute, I'm going to leave you in the room here. I'm going to go in this room. I'm going to hook up with a sister. And then when I'm hooked up, I'm going to come back out and go, Father, if you'll just forgive me. And then move back in me so me and you can go do what we do together. No, 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 no. When you open the door and go in the room and start unzipping, God is in you. And he does not approve at all. You can get crunk, drunk and not remember a thing. He remembers it all because he lives in you. Now, that is weird because who wants to think that way? Because that messes the whole romance up. Oh, honey, honey. Oh, oh God. What happened, Mark? Never mind. Never mind. God. Oh, God's in the room. He, uh, right? But, but if this is true, he is. And if it's not true, why are you a Christian then? Either you believe it all or don't believe anything. Don't pick and choose what you believe. You just either have to believe it and go, well, he's in me, I need to repent. But stop leaving him outside the bedroom door and coming back out and going, forgive me, and asking him to come back in and keep living. That is not the way the interconnectedness needs to be. So let's look at it. Here's the thought. So now that I've kind of told you why immorality of sex is important because it's your body and God owns it, Let's define what marriage is. So how can sex be immoral if I'm in love? I'll tell you why. Because God has designed sex to be in marriage. Next thought. Why does God care if I have sex outside of marriage? Especially if I'm in love. So now what we have to determine is we know what sexual immorality is. It's sex outside of God's plan and design. We know that sexual immorality is not liked by God because it can impact your body and your body belongs to Him and not just you. But now we've got this weird thing of, so why does marriage make it right? Let's go to Hosea chapter 2, if you will. I'm going to read from Hosea 2. So I'd love you to open your Bible and get your Bible out and read along with me. It'll come on the TV screen so you can read up there too. But in me fighting this with myself, and having to figure out myself what is marriage 
And why does marriage matter? Because I think sometimes young people have a good fight. Why does a piece of paper mean it's now legal with God? I thought it was all about love. And so I've wrestled with this for years to find a good answer and then to just define what is marriage from God's perspective. And in a weird way, I landed on Hosea 2. My take of Hosea 2, it is a beautiful object lesson of what marriage is from God. And then out of this chapter, I'm going to give you some things that define what marriage is and end it there. Let's just read it together. I'll make some comments starting in verse 2. But now bring charges against Israel, your mother, for she's no longer my wife. So God's going to use a, an object lesson of marriage to define something. I'm no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breast. Otherwise, I'll strip her naked as she was on the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as a dry and barren wilderness. I will not love her children, for they're conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute, and she became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, now he starts defining it for us, why would God be so angry with Israel? Because she said, I will run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing and wool and linen and olive oil and drinks. In other words, she's removed the intimacy of sex into the convenience of sex, and it's disappointed God. He's angry at it. You're using sex to get food and water and drink. It's not what I designed it for, not just pleasure alone. Verse 6, for this reason, now here comes all the trouble. Trouble starts coming. Why? Because she's using sex for her own gain versus for how God designed it. Now here comes all the issues with it. For this reason, I'll fence her in with thorn bushes. I'll block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She'll search for them but not find them. She will think, I might as well return to my husband. I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold. But she gave all my gifts to Baal. In other words, God's a little myth that he created this thing and she's abused it. So that's kind of the thinking. She's abused the way it was intended to be. He said, but now I will take back the ripened grain and the new wine I generously provided in each harvest. I'll take away the wool and the linen clothing. I'll give her to cover her nakedness. I'll strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I'll put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebration. This is all her religiosity. In other words, she's religious, but she's still not sexually right. All of her appointed festivals. I'll destroy her grapevines and fig trees, the things she claims uh, her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I'll punish her for all those times she burned incense to her images of Baal. And now, in this verse, God starts defining how he sees marriage. When she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but she forgot about me. In other words, God knows that people, if not careful, will chase after love and sex to fulfill their desires and pleasures, run after lovers, but forget about Him. And it's really meaningful to Him that you don't forget about it even when it's a sexuality. Now watch what He does. I love verse 14 because only God could do it. But then I'll win her back. Come on, somebody. God will win you back. I'll lead you into the desert and I'll speak tenderly to you. I'll return to you the vineyards. In other words, you can repent, come back to God. He'll make you right. 
She'll give herself to me there. And as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from the captivity of Egypt, verse 16, when that day comes, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I wipe away the many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never again mention them. On that day, I'll make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. They won't harm you. I'll remove all the weapons of war from the land. In other words, now her life's working again. Things are going her way. So you can live unafraid in peace and safety. And this verse jumped out to me. I'm going to put it on the screen in a minute. But it, to me, is the definition of marriage from God's perspective. 19 and 20. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And finally, you'll know me as the Lord. This verse, to me, is why a piece of paper matters. And I'll, I'll explain it to you. I hope... I have explained why the immorality is important. Your body belongs to God. But now the question of why do I need a piece of paper to make it right? This verse, from God's perspective, defines marriage. And I've highlighted seven words. For those of you that come to BU, that's critical. Seven, the number seven. It's the finishing. It's the perfection of God. These seven words are the definitive perfection of how God defines a marriage. The first one is, I'll read through them. Let's go back. Let me just read through them real quick. I will make you my wife forever. Righteousness, justice, unfailing love, compassion, faithful, and you'll know me as Lord. These seven things show me why marriage is important and why I need a piece of paper. Number one is the word, I'll make you my wife forever. The Hebrew word is the word betrothed. And what God wants you to know about marriage, it's not a hookup. It's not a soulmate. It's not a giddy feeling. It's not, oh my God, he's hot. You should have seen how he looked at me. It is forever. We say it in our traditional marriage, till death do us part. We don't mean it. We just said it because it's traditional. What we meant was, until you quit making me happy. But God says marriage is a forever decision. And many young people aren't thinking forever. We're thinking in the moment. How I feel in the moment. And God says, no, if you want to see how I see marriage, it's forever. This is why when Jesus shows up, Jesus seems really rude and mean. When Jesus said, if you've ever divorced a woman and married somebody else, you're an adulterer. And that in itself is a nightmare to try to talk about. But because it's coming from how God viewed it as forever. In other words, it's not flippant. In other words, it's not just something you do until you find somebody better. It's forever. And being forever, you need to have a plan to make sure you get to forever. When I fell apart in 2010, thank God for a woman who reminded me we were in this forever and didn't toss me out, but because we're in it forever, we have two options. Live miserable to make God happy that we don't divorce, divorce and make ourselves happy, or stay together and let's go get happy. Thank God she stayed with me and we got happy. 
Why? Because we had a forever decision. So when we hit rock bottom, let's suck it up and make this work. That's how God thinks about it. I know there's many people that are divorced. I'm not even talking to divorced people right now. I'm just talking to single people right now. It's forever. Don't dive into it flippantly because he has abs. He will get fat. He, He passes gas. He snores. Stop looking at his abs. This is what you need to go for. She married. I had abs, remember? I had abs. Oh, and she walked by those abs one day, and I was sitting there curling. I had my shirt off, my weight belt on, abs just sweat pouring off my body. Now look what she got. My Lord, half looked like Santa Claus. But the beauty of it is she got a godly man. And a godly man pudgy is better than a hot man ungodly. It's forever. (laughs) And thank you, by the way. It's forever. The second word, there's seven of them. The second one is the word righteousness. He says that that I'm going to do it forever and in righteousness. Righteousness means that you have to make a decision to do this God's way. Could I move in with you? Yes, but I'm not. Why? Because he said not even a hint. And if we're in the same house together, man, that's giving a hint. And so I know we wouldn't have sex, but I don't even want to give a hint of it. And then that's going to torment me even more to be in the room with you. So let's just do whatever. But it's going to cost us a lot. Well, then let's believe he's a provider then. Does that make sense? I just, I'd rather believe God's a provider than me have to sit there all night praying in tongues that I don't do something stupid. It's either to use my faith for that. But we had to decide to do life God's way. So this is why marriage matters to God because this becomes the definition. It's, I, don't, I don't just check box your marriage because you got married, but because you did it my way. Because there's probably a lot of people that are married and the husband's being abusive and maybe flirting with other women, and, but, but he's got his paper and it's like, well, God's clapping for him like, well, you're married. I'm so proud of it because you got that paper. No, no, no. All seven of them is what makes up an approved marriage. Here's the third one. This is... The piece of paper. So for all of those that have ever said, why do I need a piece of paper to get married? This is it. It's the word justice. In other words, when God is talking about marriage, He puts the word justice in there because the Hebrew word for justice means it has been sealed by custom and by law. And the only way God will approve you as being a couple married in His sight It's whatever culture you live in, you must come under the ceiling of that by law. Now, in America, that's go to the courthouse, get a piece of paper, go stand in front of a justice peace or a pastor, and that's how we do it here. However, in other cultures, they do it differently. In one of the cultures I was studying in in Indonesia, the way they do it is when they decide to get married, the man and the bride go into a house together and they stay three days in a house, but they cannot pee or poop for three days. They have to stay incontinent, Not, not just not have sex, they can't go to the bathroom. Thank God you live in America. I can barely go an hour. I'm up here right now going, I gotta go to the bathroom. Three days? And do you know what their custom is? If you can't hold it for three days, you're not ready to get married. I wouldn't be married yet. 
I tinkle freely. I'm like, I'm never going to get married here. Especially when your prostate's shrinking, it's like, I'm never going to make it. Sealed by custom. Now there's customs in India. Janesh was here first service. He's from India. And their custom is, because I went to lunch with him, I said, he, his, Gabby's over there now in India prepping for the wedding, and he's still here in America. And he said, i got to go back and get married, but COVID, la da da And I said, well, why don't you just call and, and postpone to the fall? He said, no, 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 in my, in my custom, in my culture, if a groom postponed the wedding more than once, it's a sign of bad luck and we can't get married. I have to get over there in February to be married or it will be a bad omen. So I said, well, how did you and Gabby come to know each other? How did you decide to get married? He said, oh, we didn't decide to get married. Our parents decided for us. I said, shoot that again. He said, yeah, you know, like here you have matchmaker.com. He said, we have the same thing in India, but our parents control it. They load our pictures up, and parents determine who we're going to marry. And then once my parent determined who I was going to marry, they said, this is the girl you're going to marry. I was living over here in America. That girl was over in Washington, D.C. Our parents got us together. I went over. I met her. They decided we should be married. I came back to Atlanta. She's still up there. And so I decided to FaceTime her. But when I went up to go see her, to FaceTime her, we cannot kiss. We cannot hold hands. We cannot be close to each other. We have to have a distance between us according to our culture. I cannot hold her hand, I cannot kiss her, and I cannot be alone with her until after we're married. He said, so when I went up the second time, I hope I get the story right, when I went up the second time to see her, her daddy is on the phone from India on FaceTime, and her brother's sitting beside her, and he has to date her with brother beside sister and daddy on FaceTime because that's their custom. And he said, this is going to be my bride. I said, does that not kind of make you nervous? That you, you've not even held her hand, you've not even kissed her, you don't even know her. You've only seen her twice in your life except FaceTime. He said, this is his words, he said, no. He said, if anybody knows me and what I need, it's my mother and father. He said, and they would only pick for me what would be the best for me. And I'm thinking here, my God, we don't even honor our parents. I don't care what my parents think. I know best. But that is a custom there. So God uses the word justice so that even if you live in the jungle, you're not married until you do it the way the jungle tells you to get married. Now when you do, according to God, you fulfill the word justice and you can move on down the line. So now once you've fulfilled justice and you've sealed it, here's where you can go next to approve a marriage. You now have to have ongoing kindness. In other words, once you seal the deal in law and custom, it doesn't give you the right to become a jerk. You can't just start ignoring your wife, not paying attention to your wife, not spending time with your wife, not caring about your wife, abusing your wife, because God's marriage is its unfailing love. It's every day, 24-7. It's not treating her like a slave and she's not your mother. It is ongoing kindness. Once you seal the deal, it's ongoing kindness forever. You're going to do it my way forever, ongoing kindness forever. Most marriages, this is my opinion, most marriages, when they don't settle ongoing kindness, end in divorce. They, they still sealed the deal, but just because one partner ceases unfailing love, they kind of fall to the wayside. Here's the... Fourth word, 
It's the word compassion. The word compassion is weird for us because compassion for us is I gave the homeless guy $5. That's compassion. The word compassion in the Hebrew has connotations to that you cherish the fetus, the womb of the woman. I cherish Robin's womb. In other words, it's just not her body that I want because a man can abuse a woman's body. She can just become a target for sexuality. But the word compassion is what God will check off as a godly marriage because I don't just cherish my wife's body. I have to cherish the womb because the womb is the seat of her womanhood. It is where all life will come from. It is what shows the next generation that this woman and this man have come together to produce life. In other words, this word is that we're not just here for sex, we're here to produce life. This cherish the fetus so you understand how important it is in marriage. This is why the American government just a few days ago passed another legislation for abortion. Why? Because an entire blooming, stupid generation here doesn't cherish the fetus anymore. What I cherish is the woman's body. It's my body and my right. And God says, well, that's not what I approve because what I approve is it's my body and it's Cherish the fetus. So I want to read you something just to show you how when... Now watch. Oh gosh, it's late, but you need to hear this. Watch, kids. This thing of abortion isn't just because we're Christians. When a society stops cherishing the fetus... Listen, girls. Please listen to me. When a society check marks, we no longer cherish the fetus... It deems you down to nothing more than a piece of luggage. That's all you are. You're a piece of luggage and meat for a man. I will teach you that it's your body. It's not your body. It's not yours. I own it, the government. I own it, society. I tell you how to look. I tell you. Because when we rob the beauty of a fetus, we rob the power of a womb. When we rob the power of a womb, we demean the power of a woman. When we demean the power of a woman, we start abusing her in everything we want to do. So don't think that giving abortion rights empowers the woman. It demeans the woman. Because the, because the womb is everything she is. So listen, and if you've had an abortion, I'm not mad at you. I'm smart enough to know people do, and God forgives us. I just think we need to be more wise about it. Listen, I just want to read a stat. The number of, just to show you we don't cherish the fetus, the number of abortions in America since Roe versus Wade in 1973 is equal to the current combined populations of New Zealand, Ireland, Denmark, Israel, Switzerland, Austria, Greece, Congo, Norway, and Mongolia. We have killed that many babies in America because we quit cherishing the fetus. The moment we quit cherishing the fetus, women became objects of sexuality. The moment women became objects of sexuality, men started abusing them. It's just how it works. Next one. I don't want to hold on that because I want to talk about abortion, but that's part of God's system. The next for God to check off what marriage is, it's morally pure. You may have a piece of paper, fellas, and be married, but if you're constantly diving in porn, hooking up with side chicks, flirting with everybody, 
God doesn't approve of that kind of marriage. That's not His kind of marriage. I'm not saying you can't get delivered from porn, and maybe all men have probably dabbled in it, but I am saying even ladies too, God says if you want me to check off a marriage box, you've got to stay morally pure. You gotta watch what you watch, you gotta watch what you listen to, you gotta be careful, you gotta guard yourself. I know you think music doesn't bother you, but stay morally pure in what you're listening to. Be careful what you give your mind to, be careful what you watch. The problem is moral loyalty has just kind of gone out the door. You know, I mean, we just because as soon as I say morally loyal, we throw back, you don't have to judge me. God says don't judge. And then it just all the whole thing falls apart. The next one is this. And the last one is number seven, intimacy with God. He says, you really want to know what makes a godly marriage. It's when this husband and wife pursue me. More than just pursue themselves or their own wishes and desires. But when they together pursue me, it makes for something I can check the box and go, I sanction this marriage. So what I tried to do today is tell you why sex before marriage is because your body belongs to God and He matters and His body is His home and why marriage is important because it is the way all seven of them are what really define marriage to Him, not just a piece of paper, though that is part of it. So I hope that helped you. Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Now, if you're here today, man, the way I try to shepherd this house is not to beat you over the head. I mean, gosh, I have blown it. I've, I've made stupid choices. I've lived foolish things. and But I am passionate enough to tell you I've done it wrong, but I'm also passionate enough to tell you God can win you back. And God can restore. Girls, listen to me. If you've lost your virginity, okay. Just tell God I'm sorry. And just like He did with Israel, He said, and I'll win her back. Oh, man, he's such a good God. He will lavish on you all those emotions you've let go of, those tears you've cried, the sadnesses, the sorrows. He says, if you'll just but turn back to me, I will lavish upon you the joy again, the beauty again, the peace again. I mean, that's just how powerful God is. If you're you're sexually immoral right now, you're in this room and you kind of just play games with it. You sleep, you know, you've had sex or with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Just stop and, and, and let people help you. I know the church is basically, if, if, you, if you even remotely admit it, we beat you over the head. And I just promise you I won't. I know Robin won't. I know our elders here won't. Man, if, if you're a boy and you're just sexually driven and you're struggling... Just come to one of us. We'll help you. It's not like we're stupid, acting like we we don't know what you're going through. But we will help you live right. We'll give you some wisdom on how to live better. We we won't just beat you over the head. And girls, if if you're being promiscuous with your body, don't don't just live like the world. Uh, I know Robin, my mother, there's a lot of ladies here, Miss Nessa, Miss Jennifer. There's just a lot of ladies here that will listen and help you and help you make right choices and not foolish choices. So be wise. Ask for help. Don't don't just be be a fool. Don't just say, I've got this. If you're tempted, tell somebody. Let somebody fight with you and help you and give you ways to do it. And and ways to handle the sex without just trying to deny it. Ways to uh, overcome and get to your wedding night and, and to help keep you safe. And 
So, and if that's you, it's a simple prayer. God, forgive me. And, and God will. And then this, not just forgive me, God, help me. And he will. He'll send you the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of father he is. So if you're here today and that's your prayer, I would encourage you in communion as you come today to let it be a time of repentance. Maybe the repentance of a moral impurity. Maybe a repentance of a sexuality. But let's, let's let this communion table be a, a redirecting back under what matters to God. Out of self-pleasure and into God-pleasure. And maybe go back to your chair as Michael sings and just, maybe just for a minute, I know it's a little long, I, I do apologize for that, but maybe go back to your seat and just maybe a few minutes of just you and God kind of recorrecting this course if you feel like your sexual life is off course. It's a wonderful way. To my left and my right are our elders. Uh, Robin will be up here as well. Ladies, if you need to talk to any ladies, I know my mother would love. I know there's plenty of ladies here. Then I'd like to end with this. If you're in a place where uh, maybe sexual addiction is a problem, that may be in porn, it may be in different things, I don't know. But, but, it, but if it is, there's, there's some really great people in this church who counsel. It's what they do for a living. And I, I've already worked it out with them that they would love to talk with you and help you and, uh, and meet with you like prof- on a professional level, whether that's a marriage uh, or individual uh, and, man, be bold with it. They'll help you. They, they've already said they would. They'd be glad to give you some extra help along the way, more than just a prayer. And all you got to do is just let me or Robin know, and we'll both connect you to those people that would love to go the extra mile with you in a counseling session to help you uh, mentally and when things like that. Would you stand with me? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.